spoke to my heart today. But I know I want to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus truly is coming. It doesn't matter what we see around us. It doesn't matter how long it seems to have been. You may have heard the promise of Jesus' coming your whole life. And you're, you're like the scoffers mentioned in, in that Peter mentioned, you know. It's, I haven't seen it yet. But last week we talked about the fact that he truly is coming. And we, we talked about Noah and how Noah received the warning of the flood that was coming when there was no rain. And for about 120 years he just got up every day and started building an ark for his family and preaching righteousness. 120 years. Every day. Every day. Still no, no rain. But he got up and built the ark, preached righteousness. No rain. But he built the ark, preached righteousness until the rain came. And he is coming. But it seems to me today, it feels like anyway, that our modern church life, we have this idea that life just is going to get better and better. And I'm not here to be a, <laughs> a downer, but biblically speaking, that's just not true. Because the Bible actually says that as the last days come, evil men will wax worse and worse, not better and better, deceiving and being deceived. So it means the world around us is going to get worse and worse, not better and better. And it says within the church, within the body of Christ, there will be a great falling away. Uh, in, in, I think it's Timothy that says the love of many will wax cold. Uh, people will be caught up in the, you know, the affections of this world and such as that, and their love will wax cold. If our whole life, even as Christians, is geared around the premise of God making everything good here, you're going to definitely be disappointed at times. You're going to be up and down. There's going to be a lot of times you're going to get to where you want to blame God for this or blame God for that. And I want to just read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. Actually, I want to go back and, and read verse 16 through 19. It says, For if the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. It's worthless. It's vain. It's empty. There's no purpose in it. You're still in your sins. And also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've just perished. If, if Christ is not risen. But verse 19, if in this life only... We have hope in Christ. Then we are of all men the most miserable or the most to be pitied. If in this life only, if in what we see, hear, feel, taste, touch, experience, in this earth, on this life, if that's where our whole life is at and that's what it revolves around, then the apostle says we will be the most miserable people. And that means in comparison to those who aren't even in covenant with Christ. He's basically saying, and there's another scripture that says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then we might as well eat, drink, and be merry. 
for tomorrow you die. I mean, if this isn't true, then forget it. Throw the book out the door and go live however you want to live. Because none of it matters if Christ isn't risen. None of the, if all of our hope rests in whatever's happening here, even in the church world, even in the religious world, then nothing really matters. Forget it all. But verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and he has become the first fruits of all of those who have fallen asleep. If Christ hasn't risen, none of this matters. But if Christ has risen, it's the only thing that matters. And until we get that as a deep down understanding in our heart, we will never truly know what it is to walk in the communion of Christ that he desires in our life. If Christ is risen and he is, then he's all that matters. Living our life for him is the only true life there is. I've said this many times to the kids growing up. If until you know the one thing that's worth dying for, you'll never truly live. You may exist, but you won't live. But when you find the one that is truly life, the one that's really worth giving up this life for, then you're going to know what real, true, abundant life is. If you'll look with me in Jeremiah chapter 12, this is the verse that really was just running through my spirit over the last couple of days. It was an obscure verse. I just heard one part of it. I remembered it. It just came, just one part of the verse just kept coming back to me. I had to look it up in the concordance to see where it was because I couldn't remember. And it's in Jeremiah chapter 12. And if you look in verse, let's look at, I did say Jeremiah 12, did I not? Oh, it's verse 5. It says, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how will you be able to contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, you've been wearied or they have wearied you, then how will you do or how are you going to make it in the floodplain of the Jordan? If you've run with footmen and they've wearied you, what are you going to do when the horses show up? Otherwise, hey guys, if you're getting worn out by what you're going through right now, what are you going to do when it gets worse? If you, can't, if you can't make it through just a little bit of persecution, if you can't make it through just a little bit of, of an issue here or there, and you're ready to give up and you're ready to quit, he's saying, if you can't make it through that, what are you going to do when the real trying times come? God gives us what God has given to you and me as a child, as his own children. He's given us a real, lasting, powerful faith. The Holy Ghost that you have in you is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You have no less of a degree of the power of God in you as his own child than anyone else. You talk about all of the apostles we read about in the New Testament. You talk about all of the great church heroes that we've read about. I want you to understand, me and you have the same Holy Ghost power, the same Holy Ghost might, the same Holy Ghost strength. We have the same peace of God. We have the same word of God. We have everything they have, but what happens many times, I think at least in our generation, in our life, we get caught up with things around us and we get wearied with things around us. And Jeremiah says, hey, if, if these things are wearing you out, what are you going to do when the going really gets tough? 
Everybody wants to talk about a God, and I've said this many times before, but everybody wants to talk about the God that brings us through the fire and the flood. And I believe in that God with everything that's in me, but if you're going to know and serve the God who brings you through the fire and the flood, you're going to have to go through a fire and a flood. And if we spend all of our life trying to avoid the flood and the fire, the problem is you're never going to know the God who walks you through it. If we spend all of our lives trying to avoid the things that bring a testimony, then we'll never have the testimony. And many of us are spending our lives, I think, trying to, you know, Albert mentioned the verse, we, we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we, we love the rejoicing part. But as a family of God, we also have to understand the weeping part. We're family. In Christ, Christ put us together. You may not like everything about me, and I may not like everything about you, but guess what? You're stuck with me. And I'm stuck with you. And we're going to love each other. That's what God's called us to do. And in that place where we walk through whatever it is that we're going through together and we lean on Jesus, we find the strength that the New Testament church understood. But if we spend all of our lives trying to avoid that, which you can't, by the way, completely, anyway, so if we spend all of our lives trying to avoid that, we never, I don't, I don't have the testimony of the God who walked through the fire with me because every time I got close to the fire, I ran the other way. I can't share with you about the God who brought me through the waters and taught me to walk on them because every time the storm came, I got down and hid in the boat or got out of the boat or didn't go near the boat. See, most of us aren't even staying in the boat. We're just not going near the boat. If there's a chance of a storm, count me out. And the problem with that is you, you never learn how Jesus steals the storm. If you've run with the footman and you've become weary, how can you contend with the horses? Isaiah chapter 43, and this kind of speaks to what I've just been talking about. In Isaiah chapter 43, it's one of my favorite verses, particularly in the Old Testament. But now thus says the Lord who created you, verse 1, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, period. We could stop there. We won't, but we could. Don't be afraid. But what about, don't be afraid. But what if, don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? God says, I've purchased you. Redeem means I've ransomed you. I've paid the debt price. I've paid the price of ransom. I loved you so much. I paid for you. <laughs> and if I paid for you, I'm going to take care of you. Don't be afraid. I purchased you. I've redeemed you. I have called you. Every one of you. I wish you could get a picture of God just calling your name. Pointing at you and saying, you're mine, you're mine, 
You belong to me. You belong to me. You're mine, you're mine, you're mine. And he knows your name. And you see in the, in the Old Testament particularly, names represented so much more than they do to us now. Names would represent a prophetic destiny. They would represent character. When Jacob named his sons, he prophetically named them by what actually would precede their lives. You watch their lives, and good and bad, their names basically identified what their lives would hold. So when you understand that God's saying, I've called you by name, well, what is that name? Ransomed. Purchased. Redeemed. Paid for. Mine. See, I don't know what you want to be called, and I don't, want, I don't know what you want to be named over you, and that could be a thousand different things, but I'm going to tell you one thing. The best name you'll ever have is when God looks at you and says, Mine. Mine. See, I can look at these two right here and I can say, mine. I can, well, I'm going to name the other two as well because there might be other parents who would, who would say otherwise, but they're mine too, see. Mine. See, all of you may not understand what that means, but I understand what that means. It means I'll go to lengths for them that I will not go to for anybody else. I'll, I'll pray for all of you, but I'll pray for them like I don't, pray for anybody else my heart will break for them like it breaks for no one else and my heart will rejoice with them like it rejoices with no one else because you know why they're mine and that's what God calls you he says you're mine I got you I'll do for you what I won't I'll, I'll do for you what I won't do for those who aren't mine I, you're mine I've called you by name, you're mine. Now, here's what I was referencing a moment ago. When, but notice that's not if. Most modern day, particularly charismatic Christians would like to say if. It doesn't say that. It says when. That means it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. When you go through the waters. Notice I love through. I circled that word too. You're going through. God doesn't plan for us to stop in the middle of our pain. He doesn't plan for us to stop in the middle of our trouble. He doesn't plan to leave you trapped in the middle of your difficulty. He said, when you're going to hit the water, it's going to come. The flood's coming. Understand that, but you're going through it. I'm with you, and you're going to get through whatever it is that the waters represent to you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You're never alone. I'll be with you. He's with you right now, whatever you're walking through. And he's not going to leave. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said, I'm with you even to the very end of the age. We talked about this age. If we're where I think we are in the biblical timetable, this age might get pretty bad before it's done. But he said, that's okay. I'm, I'll be with you to the end of it. I'll walk with you through this because you're mine. He said, you'll go through the rivers. But they, notice there's that word again, through. You'll go through. You're, you're not going to get stopped in the midst of it. They're not going to overwhelm you or overflow you. And here's what I was referencing. When you walk through the fire. You know, I, I think it's the Apostle Peter. I didn't write the reference down, but he said, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that you go, don't think it's, oh, this is, oh, what's going on? This is weird. I don't understand. I can't imagine why 
He actually said, don't think this is some strange thing concerning the fiery trial. He said, your faith is more precious than gold, but it's purified in the fire. Let me tell you something. I've seen it demonstrated in my life over and over. Real faith is seen in the fire, not out of it. Anybody can rejoice and be happy when everything's good, but real faith is seen in the fire and in the wind. That's where the real, if you want to know where am I at with Christ, where are you when the fire is burning? Where are you when the waters are overwhelming you? Well, those are tough times. Well, those are tough times for everybody. It's not that it's tough. That's not a problem. But the question is, where do you turn? Where do you stand when the waters are overflowing and when the fires are burning? He says, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and I'm just going to reference this. It says, no temptation has ever overtaken any of you, which is not common to men. But the Bible says God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted or tested above and beyond that which you can endure. But with every trial, trouble, temptation, he has made a way of escape. Now, a lot of Christians interpret that verse, I believe, incorrectly because they think, well, God will never, God will never let you go through something that's, that you can't go. You won't go through something that's more. That's not what that says. It says that you'll not go through any trouble or trial. First of all, it says that all the troubles and trials you'll go through are common to man. So that means none of us are ever alone. When you think nobody's going through it the way I am, that's not true. When you think, I'm the only one dealing with this, that's not true. It may feel like it. You may be the only one you know, but that's not true. Every trouble, every trial, every temptation that overtakes you is common to man. So if you can rejoice in anything, rejoice that we're in this together. You look over at somebody and you think, man, they never have a struggle. They never have a problem. They're just always happy. They always get everything done. I wish I could have a faith like that where I just never had a problem. Trust me. They struggle. They may not show you that they struggle, but trust me, they struggle. Trust me, they have their moments that they're hurting. They have their moments that they're angry. They have their moments that they're disappointed. They have their moments that they're disillusioned. They may not have to show you, and let me give you a little scrap of information. God doesn't require that they show you. But just trust me, we're in this together. You're not going through anything that's not common. And the good news is God says you will never walk through anything that I will not enable you to endure. Now, you may feel like you're about to break apart, but God said, no, you won't. I'm going to, because with every temptation, every struggle, every trial, there is a way of escape. So most of us take that, we say, whoo, there's a way out. Get me out of this God. And sometimes he does. But one day I was reading that verse, and I've shared this before, I know, but it's just like the Holy Spirit just sent me immediately to another verse. And it makes perfect sense to me. With every struggle, trial, temptation, there's a way of escape. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. 
the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There's a way, and his name is Jesus. So whatever we walk through at any given time, whether it's a temptation to sin, whether it's a, a struggle, a, a trouble that we're walking through, there's a way, and his name is Jesus, and you just need to go there to him. Psalm 100 tells us that we enter his gates with thanksgiving, and we enter his courts with praise. And why that is important, and you hear me quote this all the time, and I'm not trying to just keep saying the same thing, but it's important to us. The Bible says that in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And why that's so important is Nehemiah chapter 8 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And what do you need in trouble, difficulty, struggle, temptation? What do you need? You need strength. Because in Ephesians it says after in the battle you're in, in the warfare, after you've done everything you can to stand, he could have said a thousand different things. But what he said is the most important thing. He didn't say after you've done everything to stand, jump, leap, run, fly. That's the way most of us interpret it. We think that's how all the good Christians should do it. When you're going through trouble, man, we ought to be flying, soaring, hallelujah. No, he said, after you've done everything that you can possibly do to stand, just stand. Just stand. You may not be running, but you're standing. You may not be flying, but you're standing. Just stand. After you've done everything you can do to stand, stand there with the whole armor of God on. Realize this is a war and we have an enemy. And fight. Fight. Lift up that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take that shield of faith, which quenches, quenches all the flaming arrows of the enemy. And pray like there's no tomorrow. Because the battlefield is prayer. And that's the way we win. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5 is the classic scripture that you've heard many times. And you don't have to turn there. You can reference it if you like. But it's where it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes with the morning. Weeping may endure for the night. Hey, you've had some restless nights. We all have. You've had the nights when you toss and you turn and you can't sleep and you're worried or you're stressed out or you're afraid or you're hurting or whatever the case may be. And you weeping seems like it's never going to go away. But how many of you, and I don't do a whole lot of raising of hands just every once in a while, but how many of you have ever been through one of those seemingly endless nights but you also know what it is when joy comes in the morning and you came through to the other side. Can I tell you something? God hasn't changed one bit. He's faithful. Whatever you're walking through now, weeping may endure for a night. Don't be afraid of those tears because joy comes. It comes in the morning and it comes from the presence of the Lord. Just a couple of other places and we're going to close with prayer today, but I want you to look at Psalm 27 with me. Psalm 27. powerful psalm the entire psalm but just a few verses i want to point out to you in verse five it says for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me he shall set me high up on a rock and this is a key word now now in context when is now in the time of trouble Okay, so all the context, in the time of trouble, in the time of trouble. 
right now. See, most of us think, I'll lift my head up when this trouble's over. Thank God he's going to bring me through this, and I'm going to rejoice. Hallelujah, we're going to get to the other end of this, and I'm going to celebrate. And that's all good, and you will, and that's wonderful. But, you, but we're missing something if that's what we're waiting for. He actually says, in the time of trouble, right now, he will hide me. There's a secret place you could go. There's a place you can go that the world that doesn't know Christ has no access to. It's not that they couldn't get there, but until they come through the door, which is Christ, they just can't know what you're talking about. But there's a secret place, no matter what trouble you're in, where he will hide you right in the middle of it, and it's then, right then in the midst of it, that your head is lifted up above your enemies all around you. And then he says, Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy or praise in his tabernacle, and I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I'll probably share this on Tuesday. I don't know, but when I was leaving the hospital Friday afternoon, of course, we had been in pledge drive at the radio station. I'd left from there, and I had, always have my radio in the car tuned to the praise and worship station thrive and uh, so it was still on because I'd had it on when I pulled in and so a minute I turned on the keys and I was getting in the car to go home the words that met me were yes I will lift you high in the darkest valley yes I will praise your name you think God doesn't know And you see, here's the thing. If we can't praise Him in the darkness, then how sincere is our praise in the light? How real is it? See, the Jesus that I know, He's not intimidated by anything. He's already walked through and beat death black and blue. He's beaten the power of addiction for you. He's beaten the power of suffering for you. He's beaten the power of sickness and disease for you. He's beaten the power of selfishness and pride for you. He's beaten the power of loneliness for you. You name it. He already walked through and fought that battle and won gloriously. And his victory now is our victory. So if you look on in Psalm 27 to verse 13, the psalmist said, I would have lost heart. I would have given up. Unless I had believed that I would see, realize, experience, hold and touch the goodness of the Lord Oh, and the sweet by and by, and, and there is a sweet by and by. We talked about that today, but that's not what the psalmist said. He's saying here, he said, you know what? I would have given up. I would have grown faint. I would have lost heart if I hadn't believed this one thing. I will still see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm going to still see God and His power and His mercy and His deliverance and His victory and His joy and His strength and His healing in the land of the living. There's more that I have to experience of the goodness of God. I know that. Therefore, I will not give up. I will not faint. I will not 
lose heart. So what do we do? Verse 14, wait on the Lord. Now, if you're like me, that's a word you don't like too much. I don't like wait. I like now. God, would you answer? Now, God. Now, God. Move, God. Now, God. But he said, wait. Wait on the Lord. And while you're waiting, be of good courage. doesn't take any courage when you get everything you want right now, right? takes a little courage to wait. takes courage to wait and not give up, wait and not quit, wait and not lose hope, wait and not lose faith. So be of good courage, and He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What do you say when somebody comes to you and they say, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get through. Wait on the Lord. You know, isn't that one of the biggest mistakes we make? We don't wait. We're constantly, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, this is what I'm going to do. Well, what if God wants you to wait? What if God wants you to just kind of stop in your tracks and wait? Wait until you hear from Him. Wait until He says, do this, do that. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, you don't have to go over there, but of course that's where coming out of the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11 says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weights that so easily beset us in the sins, and let's run with endurance the race that's marked out for us. We're surrounded. Albert referenced it today. It's so true. I believe there's a continuous. The Bible says there's a rejoicing in the presence of the angel over one sinner who repents. And I believe every word of that. I can't imagine the rejoicing in the presence of the angels over every child of God who comes home. I believe there's probably a continuous standing ovation. And that's not the only place there's an ovation. Apparently, there is a great cloud of witnesses observing you and I as we run. So he says, since there is this great cloud of witnesses, run with endurance. And lay aside. Get rid of the things that are weighing you down. Get rid of that unforgiveness and bitterness because I guarantee you it weighs you down. Well, I'm making it. Well, you can keep making it, but you can't run with endurance. Get rid of that weight. It's only slowing you down. Get rid of that fear. Get rid of that offense. Get, get rid of that anger. Get rid of that whatever. Lay aside the weights and the sin and run with endurance. I guarantee you the grandstands of heaven cheering you on. I can't speak this for a truth. The Bible doesn't say it exactly this way, but here's the way I envision it. You can take this with a grain of salt. If you don't like this one, throw it out. That's just a Brother Lynn thing. If you can kind of witness to it, then maybe it will encourage you. But I kind of see the grandstands of heaven. I just see the champions of faith that we know and that we don't know. And I just see them saying, hey, you're doing good. Keep going. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You got everything you need. You got everything you need. You got more than enough. You can do this. You don't quit. Don't quit. And I think every little victory, things that we don't even recognize as victories, I, yeah, you got this. You got this. I don't believe that. 
that's fine. When I get to heaven, they'll just cheer for me. We told you. But we're surrounded. Finally, I want you to look with me at one last scripture today in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And look with me at verse 34 of Mark chapter 4. And if you're already there, just hang on. I'll be there in a minute. Mark chapter 4, verse 34. But without a parable... He didn't speak to them. Talking about the crowd. Now I want you to particularly notice this last phrase of verse 34. And when they were alone, he, meaning Jesus, explained everything to them, meaning his disciples. Say, well, that's a strange verse. Notice this little phrase, when they were alone. Then Jesus explained everything. When they were alone, Jesus explained everything. How many times do you read in the New Testament where Jesus called his disciples to himself alone? A lot of us today and in our generation are looking for God's voice. We're looking for for. His calm, his comfort, his wisdom, his direction. And I hear, I've said it myself, I've heard so many people, I just wish, why isn't God speaking like he used to speak? Why isn't God moving like he used to move? Let me ask you this, when's the last time you got alone with him? Now, I don't just mean you're by yourself in the house. I mean, when's the last time you really were alone? When's the last time you put your phone up? Turn the TV off. And you were just alone. Just you and Jesus. You see, that's what he did with the disciples. When they would get alone, he'd tell them everything. See, we don't, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't know how often we do that anymore. I mean, just really get alone with God and shut everything out. Even if it's just for 30 minutes or an hour or 15 minutes or whatever. You know, I've said many times, my mom, she, she had a little sign she used to put on the door where she would go pray. Basically was, do not disturb. I'm praying. And you knew. You better not. Unless it was really serious. Unless it was an emergency. Because she meant that. When she was in that room alone, it was just her and God, and that was her moment, her time to spend with God. I don't ever remember a time I went by and saw Dad without being in his recliner with a Bible open in his lap. Or If it wasn't in his lap, then he had two little tables to the side, and there were either devotional books or Bibles to the side of him. But I don't just remember that recently. I remember that quite often growing up. He'd be in his recliner with a Bible in his lap 
alone. Maybe one of the reasons we're not hearing so much and experiencing so much is we don't know how to do that anymore. Maybe we're so afraid to shut everything else off, even for the 20 minutes, to just get alone with the one who really matters. When they were alone, Jesus explained everything. Are you really wanting to hear from God? Why not just take some time today, take your Bible, notebook, pen. I would say your iPad or whatever, but see, that's the problem. I know you're going to take it with you for the... I'm just going to take notes if God tells me something. That's the only reason I have it, and I believe you. The problem is when you get the text, that's over, see, right? Well, if I, don't, if I leave my phone somewhere, I don't know what will happen. Let me make a promise to you. The world will still be turning in 20 minutes. I know we would like to all think we are that important that if we don't have that phone, something is going to happen with the world in those 15, 20 minutes. I promise you it won't. It'll still be turning. And you will have spent time with the only one who can explain all things to you. You will have just been with the only one who can turn your circumstance around. The only one who can give you peace or strength or joy or wisdom or hope or purpose. Wouldn't it be great if we redeveloped the art of being alone with God for a while, every day? I know some of you are going to tell me you don't have time, and I understand that. But I'm going to be, I'm going to very politely, with all the kindness I can muster at this point, tell you you're lying to yourself. And you see, the worst kind of deception we ever have is when we deceive ourselves. Because any other kind of lie can be exposed pretty easily except the ones we tell ourselves. Let me promise you this. You have the time. Take it. Because when you get alone with Jesus, you never know. Well, I've done that and he didn't tell me anything. Nothing happened. Oh, something happened. You just don't know it yet. Because you see, you will walk through the waves and through the fire at some point if you're not already in it. And at some point in the midst of the waves and the fire, you're going to find a scripture come to your heart that's going to absolutely be what you need. You're going to find a peace that you don't understand, a strength that you don't know where it comes from. You're going to find the words to share with somebody, and you're going to hear them for the first time yourself, and you're going to think, wow, wow, I didn't know I knew that. And you're going to find those type of things. Guess where that came from? That came from all those times that you were alone and you thought nothing was happening. And God wasn't speaking. See, you were planting seed in your heart. Harvest doesn't come instantly. But when harvest is needed, harvest comes. But if you don't plant seed in your heart, if there's no seed in the ground, I don't care how bad you want fruit, if there's no seed, where's it going to come from? So take time alone with God. Run your race with endurance. 
Realize you're not alone. Recognize there is a way to find strength and purpose and hope in the midst of whatever you are walking through right now. Recognize that sometimes God says, wait on me, and that's because he's wanting to give you the strength you need because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. You may need that strength. So you may need to wait a little while in the presence of the Lord. And if he has you waiting, it's because there's something he's doing. And I promise you it's for your good. Be encouraged today. Our God is an awesome God. We have hope because there is a resurrection. My hope is not on this earth. If everything gets worse and worse and worse, I may not like it, but that's okay because this is not where my hope is. My hope is in heaven above. <laughs> that's home. So I'm going to live my life with heaven in view, not with the earth in view. And whatever I do on the earth will just simply be because of God, what God is working in and through me from heaven. How about we live our lives that way for a while and see what a difference it makes. And by the way, it won't be just for you. It'll be for all the people around you too. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Father, in the